country of Indonesia. Do they like me in Indonesia? 100% confident Indonesia will prevail. Hello and welcome to Talking Indonesia. I'm Gemma Purdy from the Australia Indonesia Centre. Today's topic is young politicians. Indonesia is undoubtedly a young country. The median age is just 28 years. And in the 2019 elections, 45% of eligible voters will be between the ages of 17 and 36. More than ever, Indonesia's youth play a pivotal role in the country's politics. My guest today is Rian Ernest. Rian is a member of the Indonesian Solidarity Party, or PSI, a young politician who is a candidate for the first time in the 2019 legislative elections. What motivated Rian to enter a career of politics in Indonesia at this moment? What are the key issues that he sees as important for Indonesia's future? What role will Indonesia's youth play in that future? Will it be a politically active one? Well, hello, Rian. Thank you so much for being there and welcome to Talking Indonesia. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be present here. Thank you. Now, Rian, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? And I'm interested to hear about your background and how it is that you came to be involved in politics. Okay. I'm an Indonesian, but I came from different origins of family. So my father, he is a German. And my mom, uh, she is a Chinese-Indonesian descendant. But my great-great-grandma, she is a member of Suku Laut. Suku Laut in English, it means sea tribe. Mm -hmm. So it's like a gypsy gypsies, so-called. So that's from my, from my family side. Born in West Germany, but then my mother took me back to Indonesia when I was three years old. So I was raised in the suburb area near Jakarta. So it's a district called Bekasi. So I spent my childhood in a maybe lower middle income class area. And then I had my education from Catholic school, from kindergarten all the way up to junior high. And then I attended public high school. And afterwards, I attended public university, University of Indonesia, law faculty. So after my graduation, I was working as a corporate lawyer in Jakarta for about five years. Well, in the middle of those periods, I took unpaid leave. And actually, this one-year term of unpaid leave changed my life because I was a school teacher for fifth grader in Nusatagara province, in a small island, which is a border between Indonesia and Australia. So the island is called Rote Island. When I was there teaching this kid, I experienced the corruption in Indonesia because East Nusa Tenggara, I don't know whether it is still, but it was the most corrupt province in Indonesia. And I also experienced the lack of motivation from several of my colleagues at that world. So I see there's a systemic issue in my country, like, for example, demotivated bureaucrats and then not so clean bureaucrats. So because of these things, I was thinking, hmm, I can just work at the private sector and ignore all of these things, or I can contribute to fix the system. So that was my calling, actually. It was initialized by these experiences as a school teacher in Roti Island. 
but but then I have to be realistic, right? Gemma, I, I went back to work in a law firm for about two years, and then the decisive moment came when Basuki Cahyapulnama, which was the then governor of Jakarta, was searching for a legal person that can help him in the office at the city hall of Jakarta province. So I applied, and then I left my job. Mm-hmm. My my comfortable and steady job at the private sector, and then I moved to become a technocrat. Simply put, a technocrat, right? Mm-hmm. Advising politicians for two years. After that, I got a scholarship to National University of Singapore Public Policy School, and then went back to Indonesia. Now I'm a full-time politician. Take me back a little bit to your childhood, maybe, and to well, your formative years, as they say, when you're growing up in Jakarta and you're engaged with activities like any student at university. Were you involved in clubs and were you an activist in any way, Rian, at that time, or was it not until, as you describe it, later on when you went to Roti that clicked into that wanting to I make see. a change? mentality i came from a you can say as a lower middle income class family so i don't have the privilege to indulge myself with a lot of toys and comics so for my leisure time when i was in childhood so i used to read these magazines the it's quite similar to time magazine indonesia has that magazine they call it tempo magazine so these magazines, they describe all of this, you know, legal issues, political issues. So so since childhood time, so I have close association with legal class politics issues mm-hmm. for my leisure time when I was still in elementary school and junior high. Right. But then I know my background, I know my stance, at least my origins, because I'm a, how do you say it, I'm a tribal minority in the country, you know, German, Chinese, Indonesian, and I'm also a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I've thought of myself of, jumping myself into politics then. Well, even three years before this, I never thought of getting myself into real politics. Why not? In politics, you have uh, you need to have several factors, right, to succeed. And then my personal attributes and my personal factors, well, it's not sufficient in this game. But then I have optimism that hopefully it will change in a, in a good direction from now on. Mm-hmm. So again, Gemma, I never involved myself in any activism. I never involved in student organization in my university period. I was just a student trying to secure my grade and getting job immediately. So yeah. four days after my graduation, I just jumped myself into law. I think back then, I can see myself associating myself with the general youngsters of Indonesia, whereby we don't involve ourselves in politics. We just want to have a secure job, steady job, and stay away from politics. Can you say a little bit more about that and, and how you see young people and their outlook on politics? What are the issues they really care about? Because of the rate of corruption in my country, the youngsters, they have this apathetic attitude towards politics. And it's, I mean, I cannot blame them. I used to be one of them. But then we, have, we are encountered with a simple logic here, Gemma. So if we are apathetic and then just let all of these crooks enter into parliament and then rule political party and everything, how can we improve the country? How we eradicate the corruption or at least press the corruption? This kind of thinking is not very popular. A lot of people called me as an idealist. Even my own family <laughs> called me as an idealist. But then, again, Indonesia is a really great country. It's a big country. It has all of the natural resources. It has a huge number of growing middle income. It has a huge growing number of productive age workers. So we have a very big potential. And I think it has not been very well. If you want to fix something, you need to fix it from political. So that's why I do believe that politics is the way to make a change. Yeah. The issue that I'm concerned about is the police reform. So that's my main issue if I got elected. So I'm running as a MP candidate next year from East Jakarta electoral area. Yeah. And if and if the people of East Jakarta give me their vote, I will try to uh, to improve or at least to focus myself on the 
the police reform. Because here's the thing, Gemma. I got a story from one of the police. He told me this. Do you know how much is my salary? Yeah. He told me uh, his salary as a, as a head for a district in Sumatra province. His take-home pay salary was only about 700 USD per month. And you cannot solve corruption issue with law enforcer that has their own issues back home, right? How to feed their family and so on. How to send their kids to a best school. So, yeah, this country, although it's growing really well, and even under President Joko Widodo, we have the best economic growth since 2014. And our uh, GDP per capita numbers are growing. But then we have uh, several basic issues that needs to be solved. So corruption is in police reform and the two big issues that you talk about when you go out and speak with people. And are the voters responsive to that? That's where they want change too. Is that the message you get? Yes, I meet my constituents. I talk with them about this corruption issue, right, about police reform. I do believe, Gemma, to be fair with you, sometimes they feel that this issue is a bit far from them because the constituents that I'm focusing myself in is more from the lower economic class. So they feel that if the police are getting improved, they are less corrupt, less in it for us. So I told them, once the police clean up, when you go to the police uh, office to report something, to ask for something, or to ask them to investigate several cases, they will not ask for any fee money anymore. So that's the best argument yet that I can convey to my constituents. Right. Right. So you'll be running with the Solidarity Party, PSI. Can you explain a little Correct. bit about that party? And I mean, the impression that many people may already have is that it is very much a young people's party. But tell us more about the rationale for the party, who's involved and, you know, what are the main platforms? So there are two main topics that we push ourselves into in the public sphere. First is fighting corruption. Secondly is fighting intolerance. Because the issue of corruption and then the growing intolerance in this country are pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. So these two topics are our main concern. So why Indonesian Solidarity Party? Why we even established this party from the beginning? Here's the thing. Corruption in Indonesia has existed in this country even way before from our independence. So the corruption in this country actually was also acknowledged and enhanced by the colonialism by the Dutch. So the corruption is, has been here in this country for several centuries. Because of that, and with the Suharto regime or the New Order regime, a lot of political parties in Indonesia, we think they are already infected. And the infection is big. I mean, the infection is, is severe. So because of that, we're trying to establish a new party. And why me, myself, Rian Ernest, has faith for this party is very simple. The requirement to be a member of this party management meaning the people that run the party, you know, in the sub-district level, in the district level, they must never be involved in any political party. So we're looking for fresh blood here. I see. That's a requirement. Because if we invent a new party and we don't have this kind of requirement, what we will get is only people that are already affected by the corruption that in the previous party. So they're just moving here and there. Because of this corruption virus, that's why we're trying to implement a new party, establish a new party with that requirement. With a new culture completely... Non- New culture completely non-corrupt. Exactly. We detach ourselves from the previous organization culture. Yeah, and it's young people because by you're assuming that everyone else has already got tainted. The older, the older folks. Yes. Right. So I, I I I did attend a political party meeting before I joined this party. In that meeting, the aura, the ambience in the room is like you know you can feel the bureaucracy, you can feel the wall, you can feel the, the layer between a cadre and then a management of the party. You have a feudalism culture. I cannot throw myself into that kind of culture, right? So, Gemma, if sometimes you have your, your free time, you can visit our party and then you can try to attend our, our party's meeting. It's very relaxed, very loose. We don't have to say things such as, 
excuse me, uh, may I speak? So there's no, so there's no hierarchy uh, as you would find. There's, there's no hierarchy. It's very egalitarian. Yeah. And women play a, a key role in the party, right? Correct. My chairman, Grace Natalie, is a, she's a very strong female advocate for intolerance issues. And the majority of the management in our headquarters level are women. You mentioned that the second platform is intolerance. Can you give us a sense of what, what the situation is with growing intolerance? Here's the thing, Jim. There is this trend in this country where several political parties, I'm not going to name them, but then they're trying to divide the constituents. They would like to divide the people in this country. And what is the gain for that? Of course, it's electoral gain, right? It's the way to victory. But here's the thing. In Indonesia, we are a country that is very diverse. So we have like all ethnicities, all religions here in this country. And upon our independence, 1945, all of the founding fathers of this country made a consensus saying that, you know what, let's have unity in diversity as a slogan of our country. There's a trend from several political parties they're trying to divide for the sake of electoral vote. So a lot of intolerance here in this country that has been happening for several years uh, from from SBY era, our previous president, Susilo Bambang Yudhoyono. The intolerance is growing and our hypothesis is this intolerance are driven or at least initialized by political elites because naturally speaking, we are not intolerant. I will say my personal story to you, for example, Gemma. If you see me right now, you can see my face. I'm not a person that you can perceive as a authentic Indonesian. My skin is white and, you know, and everything with all of my personal characteristics. When I go to the neighborhood that is generally the slum, so-called, I mean, and definitely most of them, they are Muslims. And they accepted me really well. They never reject me or told me to go away or to go home. They never told me any of that, ever. And, and I made a handshake directly with my constituents. Now it's already 15,000 people. And not even once I get a intolerant actions from them. But then if you see from the news, maybe Gemma, you, you monitor Indonesia, you monitor our news, it's as if, you know, the whole intolerance and the whole thing is, uh, is messy here. And maybe it's fair enough for you to say that from the news and from several issues that happen in this country. But again, Gemma, naturally we're not like that. I do believe it is driven by political elites. And that's why we fight ourselves into this kind of political system because we don't see any political party that has a strong stand on fighting this intolerant act. Right, so the, you're saying the political elites in the big parties are not condemning the intolerance. Rather, they're seeing it as a political tool and a electoral tool. Correct, correct. Because this is my assumption, Jim. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but maybe they, their assumption is if we fight intolerance, maybe we can hurt several enclaves of constituents and we will lose our vote. That's what my assumption. Mm. Okay, so you're saying PSI is there to fight against this. Does PSI have allies or are you on your own in this battle? <laughs> to be honest, we are on our own yet. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's off, but we are very optimistic. Yeah, uh, you've done some things lately and I noticed that you'd taken on Fadli Zon, which I thought was extremely brave of you over... Thank you, Gemma. Uh, yeah, you. very Thank brave you. over his, his Twitter account. Maybe you could tell us yeah. a little bit about that and why you took the action. It's a very good question, Gemma. I like that. <laughs> so there's a trend that I also see. So if we are approaching election cycle period, the issues of Indonesia Communist Party usually rises. Joko Widodo, our current president, that I really 
do support. He always has this false accusation saying that, you know what, Joko Widodo, maybe he is the descendant of Indonesia Communist Party cadre and so on and so on. And as we all know, Gemma, from history, we all know that uh, Indonesia Communist Party was already dissolved and disassembled. So actually, the, the organization are no longer here. And up until these days, I have encountered with several activists that have a socialism cause, a socialism belief. But then I never heard of any association that can, or any information that tells me that, you know what, Indonesia Communist Party is existed again in this country. I never heard of that. But all of this information or at least perception were conveyed by these political elites, again, just for a short game electoral victory. And I see a lot of this coming from the opposition of Mr. Joko Widodo, especially from these two political parties, Gurindra and also PKS. Gurindra is a political party that that is chaired by Mr. Prabowo Subianto, who is running in the next uh, presidential election. And PKS, PKS is a party party that uh, aligns itself as a religious party. So again, approaching election cycle, we will have these this hopes that will be conveyed that, you know what, Joko Widodo is close to the Indonesia Communist Party or the Indonesia Communist Party is here again and so on and so on. So I thought to myself, we cannot let political elite to keep doing this because it's not healthy for the democracy. The tragedy of the Indonesian Communist Party was hurting everyone in this country. The casualties number happened after the, the whole uh, coup that, that is associated with the Indonesian Communist Party. The casualties numbers are probably around 500,000 people. So we have a scar. And then these political elites want to, you know, revive the scar, you know, creating a new ghost. And then I, so that's why uh, I took some time to think to myself deeply, thoroughly. Then finally, I reported Mr. Fadli Zon, the vice chairman of Rindra Party and also the vice chairman of our parliament. So I reported Mr. Fadli Zon to the police uh, force. Now, from what I do know, it's under investigation phase. I was already summoned and taken testimony by the police force. So tell us, what was the charge that you were hoping that, that they would make? So Mr. Fadli Zon uploaded a video in his Twitter account. And the video was several persons dancing, some sort of like kindergarten dancing, you know, with our prominent kindergarten song. And the song is Potong Bebek Angsa. It's like, uh, it's like a very typical kindergarten song. I do believe like all children in Indonesia are, are familiar with this song. But then that video, I'm not saying it's from Parlesan, but that video changed the lyrics. And if you read the lyrics, you can understand that the context of that lyrics is about the next presidential election because you can see from the lyrics saying that you failed to rule this country but then you are forcing yourself to rule this country again but then there's a lyric accusing FBI or accusing Indonesia Defender Front or Front Bela Islam and also accusing HDI. HDI is Hizbut Tahrir Indonesia so these two organizations have their own record in terms of legal proceedings in this country because of several things that I cannot mention because I don't have the data, but for example, the use of violence in uh, messaging their cause or even the allegations that, that HDI, for example, wants to change our uh, state system from Pancasila or five principles to become caliphate. Accusing FBI, accusing HDI, well, Indeed, they are Indonesian Communist Party, you know. So these kind of 
false accusations that has no basis whatsoever mm-hmm. is conveyed through social media and through their supporters. Right. I'm just trying to understand what the lyric was actually saying. My interpretation, at least, is you have two groups here. You have FEI, from Bella Islam, and HDI, or Hezbollah Indonesia, one spectrum. But then at the other spectrum, you have Indonesian Communist Party. So you have two spectrum here, right? Mm-hmm. So FBI and HDI was getting legal actions from the government by way of, for example, police force uh, indicting them and then prosecutors and then the court. So with that kind of grouping, you can have a perception or interpretation, right, that the people doing legal action to these two organizations, FBI and HDI, they are Indonesian Communist Party. That's the perception, right? Okay. And if you don't have to trust towards the executive and the law enforcers, if you don't have to trust, can you imagine Jema? What can happen when we can see a possibility of distrust to the government, which can drive people to do some things that is unconstitutional, right? Mm-hmm. So because of that, I see this. This is a. It is quite terrifying, I think, because you're giving false information. You're just dividing us. You're just creating hope, and yeah, it's not healthy for our country's democracy. Yeah, like I say, I mean, it's brave to take on someone so powerful as Fadli Zon, and has he been uh, summoned to testify yet? Rumor has it that I think he's gonna report me as well to the police, right. and it's and it's quite common actually. I mean, I'm not surprised because of that because usually what happens in this country if I file a report, you find you maybe you will reply back or you will file me back on the basis of, for example, yeah. defamation. So, yeah, right. Usually that's what happens. So I, I'm not surprised if that can happen sometimes. It's very much an activist kind of step that you've taken. You know, it's not something that regularly happens in Indonesian politics question is, is this something you're just kind of personally doing or is this something that other members of PSI may also do heading towards the election? Yeah, like reporting yeah, the like, big fish to mm, the police? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, honestly, maybe no, because mm. a lot of them, they're, they're more focused on the electoral districts yeah. because they have to go to the grounds, right, meeting the people and then do some events and meetings and gatherings. This way of, for example, stand up, speak bluntly and then uh, do actions, concrete actions, is not so generally used. Well, not just for PSA, but for all youngsters in this country, uh, because there's a risk, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> By the tone of your <laughs> questions, you have a concern, like, oh my God, what is this guy doing? Be careful, man. I do believe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I, I will keep watching my back. Yeah. yeah. But, you I know, mean, I mean, as you say, there's, yeah. <laughs> for young people to to stand up to an, you know, quote unquote elder is something that's culturally difficult. Correct. 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 That's why I think I'm an outsider. I'm, a, I'm an outsider politician, definitely. Like I told you before, I was uh, just a regular student finding my grades, working my way out from my uh, economic class. I got a steady job. But then, you know, I have this calling to politics. So my thinking sometimes is out of the box. Mm. And it's a way it's, I'm not saying it's radical, but it's, you know, it's just a general norm here. Yeah. And I think, and I, and I think that's my characteristic. Mm. And I do believe in politics, it is a very tough job as a politician. If you're trying to, you know, uh, show your another character, right? it's like faking yourself, right? And it's very tough and hard, and you will take a lot of stamina, right? Trying to fake yourself. So that's why, generally, I'm just doing this. I'm just trying to be myself. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I wonder, maybe it's not relevant, but, you you know, the time that you spent working in Ahok's office and yeah. the influence that he might have had or his style of leadership may have had, you know, do you count that as, as important? 
definitely. Here's the thing. Sometimes if you think of economic cost, if you sacrifice your steady job and your comfortable job and then you help people like Basuki Jepunama or also known as Ahok, by economic cost, sometimes you think that, okay, you're losing something like But then, you know what, Jeno? I gain a lot. I learned a lot from Mr. Basuki Jepunama. And the first thing that I learned is, you know what, in this country, you don't have to be a corrupt politician in order to succeed. <laughs> That's my first takeaway from Mr. Ahok. Because as far as I know, he is very clean. I was working for him from morning until evening. Every day, I worked on the same room with him. So it's very uh, practical for him to just yell, Hey, Rian, can you take a look at this? You know, like calling me something like that. Mm-hmm. He's really clean and he is a brave person. So clean and brave. I think our country needs more people like him in politics. Because in politics nowadays, we have more people that is not clean and also not so brave because they are afraid of losing their positions or losing their votes. Remarkable experience, but we know what the consequences were for Ahok of being outspoken and he's obviously a minority background. You obviously know that there's risks involved in um, entering politics. You've seen it up so close, but yet yet you're willing to take the risk. Yes, because I think, you know what, I, I do believe this country... I was I was raised here. I get my education here. I mean, I got my living here. I got my wife here. I mean, this is my home, my country. I mean, I love it so much. I'm not gonna let anyone do horrible things to this country. And I mean, you know what? We have 260 million people here in this country, and I'm just a single Rian Ernest. I mean, I'm just for me, it's, it's a no-brainer, Gemma. I have, uh, I'm willing to take the risk to make this country prosper more. It's a very simple idea, yet. Even three years ago, I didn't have the courage. Mm. But then I have this anger towards the system. I mean, I'm so sick of seeing of this political elite. That's why I jumped myself into politics. Yeah. So part of what you're doing from what it, you know, you're telling me is that you're, you're seeking to be somewhat of a role model as well for other young people and giving them the confidence that they too could enter politics or at least become engaged politically. Is that something you know, that you're, is important to you? Yeah, yeah I mean, I would, I would love to have like a troops of persons that have at least a singular motivation and also integrity. We have that in PSI now. But the thing is, as I said before, we have a strong number of rhetoric youngsters in Indonesia. So I think it's a long process, Gemma. It's a marathon. Even until today, some of my friends gave me a harsh critics. Well, I hope in the near future, maybe in the next five or, or ten years, hopefully we can have more people that have the courage to throw themselves into politics and be the solution, not part of the corruption issue. Mm. They need to solve the corruption issue. Well, we wish you all the very best of luck, Rian, in that, in running that marathon, and we'll be with you and cheering you as you go about it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. No problem, Gemma. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to be here. That was Rian Ernest from the Indonesian Solidarity Party. Talking Indonesia will return on the 22nd of November hosted by Charlotte Setijadi. Remember, you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. Subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Or find us via your favourite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Thanks for listening and bye for now. (music) 